Hello and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast number 127. I couldn't find anything interesting about 127, but there are a couple of facts worthy of mention for March the 31st, which is when this is going out to the world. It's the day in 1889 that the Eiffel Tower opened, and it's also when Daylight Savings Time was introduced in the US in 1918. It's also the day that Newfoundland became part of Canada in 1949. So some more trivia answers for you to add to those from last week. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this is supposed to be about dairy and not trivia, but we do try to be interesting as well. Sometimes we even succeed. Although it's fine today, the week has been a wet one with no walking, which is fine because I had my COVID vaccination on Saturday, and I didn't feel that great afterwards, but there were no other side effects. Sadly, there is no side effect of hair growth. As it's only a few days after the injection, I still have no immunity, so the mask is still my most worn piece of clothing. Apparently the second dose will be within 12 weeks, so that's some time before the end of June. Hopefully by then there will be a few more signs of normality. Clocks in the UK sprung forward this weekend, which means we lost an hour, and it took me another hour before I figured out how to change the clock in the car. But on the bright side, it's now light until about 8pm. I heard from someone in Australia this week who listens to the podcast, and it took me back to when I was on the radio in Canada. And someone in the next city over, maybe 15 miles away, recognized my voice and said they loved one of my music shows, but that if the weather was bad, sometimes they couldn't hear it because the signal wasn't very good, and that was just 15 miles. How times have changed. I also bought a new microphone last week to do the podcast, and it was useless. It cost four times as much as the old one, and it was much worse. So now I'm searching for another one, preferably one that makes me sound intelligent. It may be a long wait. Anyway, I should let you know who is on the podcast this week, as I assume that's why you're here, unless you found the podcast randomly. So this week we have three interviews and four guests. We have conversations with Fred Greensman, Vice President, Cheese and Powder Systems at Tetra Pak, and Harold Mag, Vice President, Enterprise Accounts at Rockwell Automation. There's a discussion with Joe Heinzelman, Director of Business Development at Neogen, and a chat with Josh Remy, Commercial Manager at EcoVeritas. And of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. So let's get to the news you may have missed over the last week. Or maybe you've read it all already, in which case either fast forward or go grab a coffee. DFA issued its 2020 financial results. General Mills is selling its European Yoplait operations to Sodial in France. First Milk and Nestle were both in the news twice this week. First Milk is looking to be net zero by 2040, and it has also partnered with Nestle and AgriCarbon on a soil carbon project. The other news from Nestle is that its Carnation Dairy Facility in the U.S. is the first to achieve Alliance for Water Stewardship certification. Rabobank, in its quarterly report, said it sees positive times ahead for dairy. Ingredion launched a new modified potato starch. Parmigiano-Reggiano sales are positive despite the pandemic. And the European Dairy Association has a new president. Westland is investing 40 million New Zealand dollars in butter with Project Gold Rush. 
Graphic Packaging International launched Paper Seal Slice and Wedge solutions for cheese applications, and All Microalgae has debuted two coloured chlorella powders. There's going to be a second British cheese weekender. Quix in the UK unveiled a flavour mapping project for tasting cheese, and UAE University has announced a camel milk research project with the Chinese Academy of Sciences. Tetra Pak introduced some new solutions for less litter. Nomad Foods is entering the ice cream market with the acquisition of Fortenova's Frozen Food Business Group. And we had our March roundup of the new dairy products. And I think it's one of the longest ones that I can remember. And even then, it's probably just scratching the surface. On that note, if your company has products to tell the world about, please do get in touch and we can include them in our April roundup. You can read all of these articles and, of course, many more at DairyReporter.com. So let's keep things moving with this week's first interview. And we're kicking things off this week with a chat about a calculator that lets companies see how much tax they're going to have to pay when a new plastic packaging tax is introduced in the UK. The free online tool has been created by EcoVeritas, and to tell us more about it is the company's commercial manager, Josh Remy. All right, I wonder if we could start with some background information on EcoVeritas. So, yeah, EcoVeritas is a packaging information management company, and we specialize in collecting data, analyzing it, and reporting. Our core business revolves around something called extended producer responsibility. So if your listeners aren't familiar with what that is, extended producer responsibility or EPR is a way of producers of certain types of material financing that material once it reaches its end of life. And we have systems in the UK for that and around Europe and, and wider as well. And EK Veritas do a lot of packaging data reporting for those systems, which are all a legal requirement. We've been doing that since about 1997 when those regulations first came into force in the UK. Our specialist area over the years has been department stores, simply because, as you can imagine, department stores have a wide mix of packaging that needs data collecting. So we reach out to suppliers to make sure that we get the right data and that data is granular enough to do the reporting and um, a lot of quality checks and validation goes into doing that. So that's what we've done over the years. We're more of a rounded business now in terms of we use that data in, in smarter ways, simply because packaging data, especially in the current climate, has a lot of value attached to it. So what we want to do is get that data back into our customers' hands and help them to make smarter decisions around packaging choices and design and optimization. So that's a big focus of our business going forward is transparency and packaging optimization, which we have the expertise and knowledge to help our clients with. Is this the kind of thing that companies would find challenging and almost always would outsource it? Yeah, I think there's a few strands to it. I mean, the legislation around extended producer responsibility is complex in itself. And the problem with it is if you're a global business, each extended producer responsibility system around the world that exists is all completely different. There's no standardization towards any of it. So the reporting requirements, the data collection requirements and the fees as well that you have to pay as part of that are all completely different. So it tends to be a bit of a minefield. So some companies find it easier than others. Ones that have already got the data collected and in their IT systems may have an easier time. If companies struggle to get data from suppliers or don't have any means to collect data, then it, yeah, it tends to be a very arduous task. So we help companies do that. And it's important to get the right data and make sure that that data is accurate as well, um, which is, is tends to be the bulk of the burden. 
And as far as what we're talking about this morning is, is taxes, and I wonder if you could sort of run through what the plastic packaging tax is and what it's intended to address. Yeah, sure. So the UK plastic tax is a government policy of taxation towards plastic packaging, and it was brought around in 2018 as part of the resource and waste strategy the government produced. And there is now a draft legislation that was created in, in November 2020 that outlines what producers of plastic packaging are going to have to do. So the li- liability will lie with importers and manufacturers of plastic packaging in the UK, and they will have to pay a £200 per tonne levy for plastic packaging that they import or manufacture. So the reason this plastic taxation has come about is simply because we need to disincentivize the use of virgin plastic in our packaging and increase the value of recycled plastic. So it's very much an encouragement piece for companies to do a bit more and ensure that they have recycled content in their packaging. So that the actual benchmark for recycled content in the plastic to be non-taxable is it has to have more than 30% recycled content. So any plastic that's less than 30% recycled content will be subject to the £200 per tonne tax. Is this unique to the UK or do other countries have similar schemes in place? So this one is UK law, but there is an EU plastic levy as well that's been introduced this year, actually, at the start of this year. So the EU have said that member states have to pay an €800 per tonne levy on the plastic they put onto their markets. Now, the way in which those EU member states recoup the cost (laughs) is up to them. So again, you know, we're coming into this dilemma of there's going to be no standardisation towards it. It will just be up to those member states to pay the bill to the EU. But how they collect that money is still unknown in many. So there'll be loads of different systems. But yeah, it does exist in the EU as well. I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see that expand outside of Europe um, into Latin America, the States and Canada, etc. I really do think it will pick up some momentum. Is it something that's fixed or is it something that they'll revisit and change if they need to, if it's not working or if it needs to be strengthened, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think they'll have to. It's the same with all of these pieces of environmental legislation that they should be reviewed and looked at. You know, is it doing what it's intended to do? So, you know, are people using more recycled content in their packaging? Is the value of that recycled content packaging getting better for producers of of plastic packaging to purchase? Because that's the main aim of, of implementing this tax. So, yeah, I imagine there will be many reviews and exemptions as well. They'll have to review exemptions because there's a few already around medical packaging and imported transit packaging, which will be exempt as part of this tax. So things like that will need to be reviewed, I'm sure. Because of this, you've launched a plastic packaging tax calculator. What prompted you to do that? Yeah, we launched that simply to help producers in trying to estimate what their likely cost impact will be. So as a packaging data and information company, we feel a responsibility to actually provide tools like this that will help customers and non-customers. You know, it's it's a free to use tool to actually calculate what their likely cost impacts are and then to see how they can improve that as well. If it is going to be a big cost impact, the sooner they start to look at it. So we're launching it you know, near enough a year in advance to the actual taxation regulations dropping in April 2022. It will hopefully give them time enough to start looking at that and seeing if they need to make some considerable changes. And how can you help with those changes? Again, we collect a wealth of data around packaging, so packaging compositions at component level. And I think to make any change, you need to know what your baseline is and where you stand. Because without knowing where you stand in terms of the data, obviously the threshold is 30% recycled content 
in your plastic packaging. So if you don't know what packaging <laughs> components have got more or less than 30% recycled content, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. So our bread and butter, so to speak, is collecting that data from suppliers and gathering it into our database and, and analyzing it and reporting back to our customers so they can actually see that. They can see where the high volumes of low non-recycled content is going into the market, and then hopefully they can make some strategic decisions based on that. And the calculator itself, is it easy to use? How does it work? Yeah, it's very simple. I mean, it's very, very high level. It's, again, it's just to give an indication of what the likely cost impact could be to your business. So it's just general company information. It's about how much plastic packaging you import, manufacture and export. And that's pretty much all there is to it. And then you can look at what the cost impact will be. Once you get the figure, you can look at what the cost impact will be if you start to increase the recycled content coverage of your packaging. So you can see if you make a change, what that likely result will be. So you can have maybe produce some targets from it. But yeah, it's very high level, very simple to use, very quick and easy. And it was designed to be that way. We're very early, a year in advance, and we just want to give people the indication of what the likely impact would be. And are you able to help with things like if they're absolutely shocked by the amount <laughs> and it's something horrendous, are you able to help them get that down in terms of sourcing what they need? Um, yeah, we do have expertise within the business to do that and identify that. We have very knowledgeable and experienced people within the packaging industry. And how do people access this? Is it just online? Yeah, it's just on our website at ecoveritas.com. You can find it on there very easily. Um, it's all signposted and we have material on our LinkedIn page as well that you can find with, with a link to it. All right, very good. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I think the key dates are probably any other thing to mention that registration will probably be required by the start of next year for this tax. Um, there is a de minimis to, to this in the draft legislation, which is 10 tonnes imported or manufactured. So if you're above that 10 tonnes, you will need to register next year for the tax. The reporting will be on a quarterly basis starting in April 2022. So you have to report data and pay the tax at the end of each quarter if you're above the 10 tonne threshold and you haven't got more than 30% recycled content in your packaging. So I think there's just some key dates there to finish off. Tetra Pak and Rockwell Automation have announced a strategic business collaboration for cheese and powder solutions. The combined business partnership is intended to deliver data and technology to reduce variability and improve quality consistency, and that will help ensure finished products are produced sustainably and cost-effectively within demand-driven manufacturing environments. To tell us more about the partnership and what it means are Fred Greensman, Vice President, Cheese and Powder Systems at Tetra Pak, and Harold Mag, Vice President, Enterprise Accounts at Rockwell Automation. And it is Harold who we will hear from first. Okay, so yeah, I guess if we could um, start with getting a bit of background on Rockwell Automation. Sure, my pleasure. So. Rockwell Automation is a is leading company in industrial automation and digital transformation. The company is more than 100 years old, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, USA. More than 23,000 employees and uh, also present in more than 100 uh, countries around the world. So I wonder if you could tell me how the collaboration came about. I don't know who wants to start with that one. <laughs> I'm going to start with, with that one. The, the collaboration came about when Tetra Pak realized it could combine 
its food application expertise with the leading digital technology of Rockwell Automation. And the collaboration will help producers to adapt to fluctuating demand-driven manufacturing far more quickly and more cost-effectively. The collaboration also aligns with the company's commitment to continue to innovate and deliver state-of-the-art solutions to our customers that support them to achieve their ambitions in, in running highly effective processing plants. Tetrapack will support this collaboration by bringing its domain expertise in Tetrapack cheese and powder systems, evaporators and dryers, and Rockwell Automation will support this collaboration by bringing in its domain expertise in advanced process control and, and model predictive control. Yeah, so with Rockwell Automation, we offer a portfolio of software, which includes, you know, artificial intelligence and solutions around uh, process control, but also around, um, you know, advanced process control as well and optimization. And in this partnership too, we, you know, we have a long-term uh, partnership with, with Tetra Pak as one of our most important uh, customers in food and beverage that dates back to more than 35 years. And we've also done collaboration, co-innovation in research and development around uh, hardware solutions as well. So now we've moved into this space, which is um, fitting really well between the two companies in terms of Tetra Pak has a really deep experience in the food industry in terms of serving their customers. And at the same time, we can complement that with our uh, domain expertise in, in the automation and also in the advanced process control software and artificial intelligence. And that's what you both bring to this particular partnership. What were you trying to address initially? What, what are you trying to achieve? Well, this business collaboration showcases how a combination of expertise can help customers to achieve important business critical goals, even on a global scale. Tetra Pak can now offer its operation and drying customers proven advanced process control and model predictive control solutions that have demonstrated success all around the world. Powder Plant Booster can be particularly interesting for Tetrapack customers with evaporators and spray dryers equipment that need to meet higher demand and maintain stricter control of process and production quality. Also, we have seen for recent plant deliveries that Powder Plant Booster delivers other answers to the demand of processing plants such as lights out manufacturing, artificial intelligence, and, and also machine learning to really improve production quality, product quality, and address sustainability demands. Yeah, it's it's all around the, the data. Once we can capture the data from what's going on in the process, then we can, you know, our advanced process control software will then model the process and use the algorithms to then optimize online in real time what's going on in, in the production so that we can then adapt and uh, make sure that we maintain all of the quality parameters within the tolerance online. And this will, first of all, make things a lot more consistent in the quality of the output of the products that are being uh, put through the process. But at the same time, it's going to save on energy. It's going to save maybe on, on waste of materials. You won't have a, a lost batch or, or anything in that uh, area as well. And, you know, it's, it's a really important complement, I think, uh, you know, combining the 
food experience of a company like Tetra Pak that has so many customers and is so active in the industry, together with uh, our expertise in automation, PLC control, and uh, software. Could you tell me what MPC, Pavilion 8, and Plant PAX are? Basically, Pavilion 8 is the name of the advanced process control product, and the MPC is also standing for modular process control. So that's just the jargon, I think. So at the end of the day, that's the software that really collects the data and then applies the mathematical algorithms to what's happening in the process so that we can then predict with the input data coming in what's going to happen in the process. Then by knowing that, then you can adjust the different uh, parameters in the process to go to the levels needed to keep you know, the output of the process inside the tolerance of the quality. So that's what's going on. Plant PAX is our modern DCS, so dis- distributed control system. And basically, you know, it's a, it's a modern DCS system because, first of all, we have standardized libraries that allow uh, you to, let's say, model different assets in the process, be it a motor, be it a uh, you know, a reactor or whatever the element is, then you can, you know, save by copy pasting in the engineering around reusing these objects, which are then already proven to be accurate and to be working. So you save a lot on debugging and you know that it's going to work, number one, but you also have a standard that uh, will save you going forward. So this is then put onto, you know, our standard PLC hardware platform with the support of some servers. And this type of architecture is extremely flexible for all of the industries from the point of view, whether it's discrete manufacturing, whether it's hybrid or whether it's uh, actual process control. So in in principle terms, I mean, this is then going to be added to the plant control that that comes in from from the Tetraplex perspective. And on that basis, with the integration of these tools, we can offer quite some value to our customers, optimizing performance and addressing the demands on all of this with the knowledge of of the total system. And this is applicable to cheese and powder or are there any other applications as well? No, I mean, the starting point is obviously the powder solutions because there we can add the most value and we have the expertise already with some tests that we have done. So that's the starting point to address this within the dairy way, infant formula, plant-based powders categories. In the future, obviously, we aim to add this to other categories such as cheese or whatever comes next. But the starting point clearly is the powder business where we want to address these demands. And so you've mentioned some of them already, but what kind of benefits are your customers going to realize from this? Well, the manufacturers will benefit from a unique offering in, in Tetra Pak evaporator and dryer solutions through this collaboration with the development of turnkey solutions in that they have already been customized for this powder processing application so that the systems are basically ready to go. Every customer plant is unique due to location, equipment, raw materials, production process and, and other parameters. And this means that the performance targets will be different per individual plant. An assessment of a customer powder plant will provide more detailed insight of what Tetrapar can deliver to boost their specific performance. And this is used to develop performance guarantees specific for that customers. I think to add to that, I think, you know, one of the big benefits is just assuring um, 
the quality variability, right? I think what we've seen from using this type of um, artificial intelligence and advanced process control is to keep that uh, within reduction of variability of up to 60%. So from that, we can, first of all, be really, really sure about the, the quality of the product being produced. And therefore, we reduce, you know, the off-spec products. So we reduce the waste. You know, waste can cost a lot of money. And at the same time, we can speed up uh, the throughput of the actual process by up to 9%. So that will mean that, you know, in the same shift, in the same week, in the same month of production, you can get up to 9% more production out of the same line. So all of these translate into, you know, real gains in, in value and money and, and profits for the end user customer. Maybe one other addition to this on, on that side. The other thing that can be done is obviously with these outputs from, from these solutions, we can as well go into our test center that we have just renovated in the Netherlands, which is fully equipped, refurbished and modernized so that whatever comes out of these measures, we can upfront test try this on a, on a smaller scale and then build it up into the individual plants so that we can prove any performance guarantee that, that we can provide. You mentioned less waste and also increased efficiency. I guess sustainability and reducing carbon footprints are extremely important to the end consumer as well as to companies now. Um, how does this help with any of those goals? I think one other thing that I didn't mention is um, reduction in the energy per unit. Uh, we've seen uh, up to 9% gains or, or savings here in this area as well. So anytime you're saving energy, it's going to reduce the carbon footprint. And actually, the the other point then is as well to reduce waste and to get better product quality out. So in principle, to improve efficiency, plant performance, all of this adds to the carbon footprint as well when you have less waste on, on the production side. Is this easy for companies to use and how does that the stream of data work do they interpret it or does it get sent to you for interpretation yeah the, the powder plant booster can be active in parallel with a common control system and the powder plant booster is switched in operations and automatically has a tight control on process using a predictive model and to operate the plant without delays and without manual adjustments and as such, it makes it easy for operators to run the plant and, and get the performance up. Yeah, basically, it's a ready-to-go solution between the collaboration of the two companies. And most of this work is actually done on the Tetra Pak side to you know, customize the solution then for the needs of the actual end user. But once it's delivered, then it's ready to go. On the automation side, then, you know, because we're... I guess a platform that's uh, a leading platform and, and we have a lot of experience in the marketplace in terms of our systems. We know how to interface them to any other additional systems that are out there in the plants. You know, we have all the networking and protocol and data exchange uh, gateways that are needed to make sure that we can interface it into any plant architecture that the customer already has. So I guess you're you're able to work with the customers to provide that turnkey solution, I guess. That's our ambition, obviously, to provide a solution to a customer that can be implemented. We commission it and, and get it up and running and as well 
to maintain a long-term relationship. I mean, with these kind of investment numbers, it's quite important for the customer as well as for, for us as companies to keep this relationship and help the customer optimize throughout the life cycle of the plant. And as far as the collaboration between the two companies, um, how long has that relationship been going on? And I assume that that's going to continue into the future with potentially other products? From the Rockwell side, it's I would say it's a precious one. It's been going on for more than 35 years, maybe less so back then in terms of the software. And software is obviously where the automation world is going more and more these days. However, we have done many co-innovation, co-research and development projects uh, in terms of hardware and software between the two companies. And it's it's something that we really uh, value and cherish uh, with Tetra Pak. All right, that's great. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover? I think the, this is really a, a possibility to, to innovate and work together with two companies on something that should add great value to our customers. That's what we aim for. And obviously, that should be a long-term relationship going forward with the automation solution straight into the plants, the knowledge from, from Tetra Pak on that and the advanced control and the knowledge added to it from, from Rockwell Automation. So really looking forward to get this going. Yeah, I'd like to add, aside from the fact that the world is more and more complex, that you know uh, there's more and more a need for teaming amongst suppliers to satisfy the needs of uh, you know the the customers in in industry. Um, it's been something that Rockwell Automation has recognized for many many decades. So you know, we have a, a lot of partnerships and we have a very large portfolio, but. In spite of all of that, we recognize, too, that uh, in order to provide everything that the customer needs, you still need to have these kinds of partnerships. And I think this partnership on the powder booster solution is a unique one. And um, I'm really excited about how customers are going to receive this going forward in in the future because it's it's big ad value for them. And if they realize that, I think they will be much more competitive in their, their own industries. Next, we have a conversation with Joe Heinzelman, Director of Business Development at Neogen, about food safety and dairy, and of course, the pandemic, among other things. So I guess the first and obvious question is if you could give me a bit of background about the company. Thanks for having us, Jim. My name is Joe Heinzelman. I'm a Director of Business Development at Neogen, and today we're talking about digitalization and a platform that we have called Neogen Analytics. If you're not familiar with Neogen, we are a company that helps deliver food and animal safety products to companies worldwide, bringing together a lot of the different solutions that dairy companies use to help produce safe food, whether that's um, on farm or within a processing facility. We are a global organization, and that includes genetic testing labs and also a lot of the same distributions that um, a dairy processor might see. And what is the analytics platform, if you could run through what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So Neogen Analytics is basically a software program that's cloud-based, allows people to have remote monitoring capabilities of an environmental monitoring program. So whether that's a high-care, hygienic facility, that, as you might refer to it in the UK, or a ready-to-eat platform that you would think about within the U.S., 
we provide a platform where it helps them automate their food safety program. And that could include reducing labor, improving operations, and reducing risk. A lot of the other things that we're seeing in the digital environment where people adopting digital technologies see a lot of advantages moving into that type of space and application. And so is it something that you tailor for companies individually or is it like a one size fits all? If you think about food safety and food safety programs, they can become incredibly complex. So how we handle food safety within a fresh milk or high temperature short time operation for milk here in the U.S., we would approach food safety differently than, let's say, reprocessing of cheese. And so a big part of um, what we deliver within a platform like this is customization so that their programs and procedures are customized to deliver their programs in a food safety context. And so whether that's specific customer requirements or different types of agencies that they have to think about and receive audits from, they've got flexibility to kind of digitalize the entirety of that platform. And you mentioned that you do all kinds of foods, but what do you do specifically for dairy? So let's take an example of, let's say, reprocessing cheese, where we're taking 640-pound blocks and making them continue to process those. That's an open environment. And if you think about food safety, the main issue within that type of environment is contamination, cross-contamination from the environment from something like Listeria monocytogenes. So the food companies, their food safety programs are around controlling their environment. And how do you do that? Well, it's sanitation. It's looking for listeria and having corrective actions around that and being able to show that you're not only testing where you need to, but then you have a, a record of not only that event, your program, and then if you did find something, what did you do about it? And did you meet all of the criteria that you have in your food safety program? And to take that entirety of that process and all the exceptions that might occur with a positive or a negative or different types of programs, that's where taking this complex environment really helps people optimize and get a better control around what they're doing in their food safety program in a digital format. Is it something that is easy for them to utilize or do you like take the results and interpret them for them? How does the, the process work? Usually how we're doing that is we're trying to take whatever type of inputs that exist within a food safety operation, whether that's a diagnostic test that we produce or from a third-party accredited lab, bringing those into a system in a format seamlessly, automatically, where we reduce uh, chains of custody. All of that data is presented into one single screen or environment where we can begin to manage it. And so we help people make those connections, take their written food safety programs and digitalize them. We have a group called Customer Success, and these are you know, food safety professionals that understand the software to make those connections. And so there's a little bit of a you know, kind of consultative role that we kind of play in making that digital transformation. And then, you know, it's always been a, a fun conversation to think about how we've had to pivot a little bit from the pandemic standpoint. Speaking of which, how has the pandemic affected things? Well, I mean, I, I got to say, it, as we got better with Zoom and Teams and WebEx and all the other platforms, it goes very well. We've gotten a lot better at it. We were good at first, and I think we've gotten a lot more proficient at continuing to deliver uh, more engaging training, better at taking in 
different types of data formats and digitalizing them for our customers, and then kind of making sure that their goals and objectives from both a risk mitigation standpoint and an operational execution are met in a digital format. So we can't go in and walk around the facility and talk about those things, well, let's say at the launch, but you know, we've got customers that have been started since the pandemic and you know, they've been successful in digitalizing their food safety program. Do you think that some of that hands-off approach will remain after the pandemic is over? I have to think so. I mean, kind of my opinion is now that we've gotten better at doing so many different things remote, we're going to question everything that we, you know, every time we get on a plane, do we really need to do that? And I think really when we think about auditing and remote access from a food safety executive, they're going to be able to have access to the same type of information and watch the steps that are executed within these programs at their fingertips on their phones, you know, taking that allows for a reallocation of resources. So we think, you know, there'll be less travel, less hands-on with programs like uh, Neogen Analytics. You mentioned the cheese earlier. Are there any other challenges that the dairy industry faces that you're able to help with? Yeah, I mean, when we think about the dairy industry, it's probably all the further processing you know, Neogen as a company does a lot of diagnostics within food safety, whether that's antibiotic screening for incoming raw milk, pathogen tests, the digital platform, things like sanitation monitoring. We have a whole suite of diagnostics that we're empowering these uh, food safety professionals to get better information. And Neogen Analytics really represents a way to digitalize all that, whether that's our diagnostics or someone else and give them a common platform for all of this data that's coming in. And that's really like this idea of big data. When I think about big data, it's usually defined by three different kind of parameters, right? Data volume, data velocity, and uh, data variety. And that's really what we're thinking about is just the variety of types of different diagnostics and watching people move from point A to point B. And how do you get a better handle on that? We've got to digitalize it. And when you do that, you get better metrics and different types of metrics because now you can measure new things like clicking buttons and see when handoffs occur and how long did it take me to get these corrective actions between facility A and facility B. That's where I think we'll see some really uh, impressive improvements over time and you know a better way to manage risk. And do you find that there's a range of companies in terms of the ability to deal with that data? Or is it something that you you deal with their data for them? Or do some companies really just take what you do and then run with it on their own? We see a bit of both. And it's really part of this kind of digital journey, you know, from the different organizations that we interact with, you can see that we're all kind of heading in this direction. And some of us are at different maturity standpoints. And that's kind of like whenever you think about digitalization, it's always a crawl, walk, run, where we're helping people get to that run kind of stage a lot faster. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges and even opportunities moving forward? Because obviously the pandemic has really affected the way that people work in their workplaces for us as well. But in dairies, it's really changed everything in terms of wearing PPE and social distancing. And there's been so many changes. I just wonder if you see any challenges moving forward in that, but also in other areas. Absolutely. Audits and on-site audits, that certification industry will be very interesting in how we support. You know, our goal is to help our customers kind of 
aggregate that data for that interaction to be a lot easier. And so remote audits were a thing for and will be a thing, we think, for the foreseeable future and and helping people do more of their work remotely at the same level of effectiveness is, I think, a a nice thing to think about that we'll be striving for and we'll start to see as we digitalize more platforms. Definitely big changes. I assume as well that you're constantly working on tweaking the solutions that you have and constantly having to update them because it's the same as as soon as you've got an iPhone, it's out of date. So I assume that the technology is constantly changing. Yeah, absolutely. And and customer needs and being able to adapt to different types of food safety concerns is really why we selected a cloud-based platform so that we can push those updates and manage that experience as best that we can. And that's, you know, one of the advantages of moving to like a SaaS-based type of uh, platform like that. And I guess it's not just the technology that changes you also probably have to be in tune with and ahead of all of the different regulations that are happening as well yeah absolutely uh the nice thing if you think about you know higher risk foods within dairy production and environmental monitoring that regulations and those rules have been around for a while and it's basically taking complexities that exist today and digitalizing them and i think once we are at that point across the industry we'll see a better ability for us as a group to adapt and adjust based on new regulations once we're in a digital, more digital. And you said you're a global company, right? Yeah. So we are a global company. We've got offices across North America, South America, Europe, Australia, China, India. And then where we don't have direct Salesforce and technical service, we usually have some type of partnership with a distribution partner to get our products and services there. All right. Thank you very much. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? You know, we're continuing to improve and evolve our diagnostics. So another thing is sanitation monitoring. We've got some big things coming with the sanitation monitoring front that'll plug into digital type of platforms like Neogen Analytics. So come to the website and uh, come take a look at what we're doing in that space too. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. This week saw our recovery in butter prices from last week. Not getting all the losses back, but um, we had some gains. Uh, marked butter was up around uh, 25 euros to the 40.65 level. We had quarter two up around 160, 165 euros a ton to 41, 30, 35 uh, level. Quarter three butter was up around 175 uh, euros to 4,200 level. And then you had quarter four butter was up around 190 euros to around 42, 25, 30 level. powder, on the other hand, was pretty flat. March was still around the same level, around 24, 50, 55 level. Quarter two down around the 24.70 uh, level, which is slightly off on last week, maybe. Quarter three was still around the same level as last week, 25.10 level. And quarter four was off slightly, uh, trading around the 25.25 level. Uh, market seems to be getting relatively quiet ahead of Easter, but still anticipation that we should see an increase in demand, maybe particularly for butter on the uh, food services when the vaccines uh, start to uh, take hold here in Europe. Whey was still around the 1,000 euro level. 
Thanks, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. Stone X, formerly INTLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another show. Don't forget tomorrow is April the 1st, although I'm not sure much of the world is in the mood for pranks. As for the next podcast, I can smugly tell you all of the interviews are done, which is good because this week and next week are both four-day weeks because of Easter, so that does make it a bit busier. Anyway, next week's guests are from Danone, Veolia, and the University of Surrey, and that's the Surrey in the UK, as opposed to the Surrey in Canada, as I know there is a university there as well, but that one's called KPU. And there's also a campus of Simon Fraser University as well, before someone tells me I missed that one. you got to cover all the bases. And speaking of bases, tomorrow is opening day for baseball as well. So on that hopeful note in the Northern Hemisphere, I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week, and if you're celebrating it, a great Easter. And until next time, please stay safe, take care, and as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>